Well, this morning we're actually finishing up a series, and so if you want to catch any part of it and go back, uh, we're finishing up a series called Workology. You can go to awakeningchurch.com. You can watch it or listen to it. You can podcast it however you want. I think it's really appropriate on Mother's Day to be finishing up a series on work as uh, mothers are some of the hardest working people on the face of the planet. Single parents, single mothers are the hardest working people on the planet. Uh, And so we're finishing up this series this morning, Workology. And here's what we said about Workology. That Workology is the study of work and how to make it work for you. We've taken four weeks to really study what does it look like to work in a way that makes it work for you. That this is a God-given, God-designed endeavor And so how do we go about it in a way that you not just survive, but uh, thrive? Uh, This morning, as we talk about work, I want to talk about what does success really look like? The sermon title is Out of Breath. I think that's appropriate, maybe for some of you moms, that you feel out of breath. You came in just this morning completely out of breath getting the kids all ready. There's this crazy reality that uh, if you're a new parent, you are feeding, you are changing, you're washing, you are not sleeping. As a not-so-new parent, you are running around. Your life suddenly becomes work and chauffeuring. That is the two lots that you have. However, If we're honest, there's many of us that walked into this room out of breath, and you're not a parent. You walked in gasping for air. Walked in, and for some, walked in this way. I'm not exactly sure how much longer I can keep this up. And so if you're there, would would you maybe just take a moment with me? We've had a lot of fun this morning. And just take a breath. Maybe if you came in out of breath. Let's try it. Literally like 10% of you did that with me. (laughs) You want to try it with me again? Let the RPMs of your soul slow down. Just a little bit. Because isn't it interesting that in our pursuit of success, we often find ourselves out of breath, don't we? We find ourselves caught up in the rat race, caught up keeping with the Joneses, caught up trying to make it, and yet out of breath. Living perhaps a life That promises something that will eventually provide or fulfill, but right now, it doesn't quite. And so what does success really look like? I mean, when you think about success, and we use words like this, that's very fascinating. She is the picture of success. He's the picture of success. Of success. So, for you, like, what comes to your mind when you think of success? Like, what picture comes to your mind? I don't know. I wrote down a few ideas. 
Maybe the picture of success for you, for some, is perfection. It's the perfect life. Like you have the perfect house and the perfect job and the perfect kids. Like it's picture perfect life. And this has only become exasperated because of Instagram and Pinterest, by the way. Because we compare our imperfect lives with everyone else's filtered perfection. And so that becomes our picture of success. Maybe it is the picture of success is happiness, the happy life. For parents, isn't that what we hear all the time or maybe even say, I just want my kids to be happy. And so we travel insane miles to take them to a soccer game in Nevada. Why? I want them to be happy. Maybe it's prosperity. It's the American dream. This is hardwired into our DNA. That to be successful means to be upwardly mobile. To own a home. That's why some of you are wanting to move away from here. Let's just be honest. Because you can't own a home here. And that's the picture of success. For some, the picture of success is the idea of fame. Culturally, we celebrate fame, don't we? We look to those who are on the TV screen. And yet now it has become this thing that maybe we could get it. Maybe if we have a blog that just somehow extends our platform. Or I get so many likes on Instagram. To be a somebody. It, it might not even be on the grander scale, but it just might be to be someone of prestige, of renown, to, to have some other people think you're a somebody. Maybe your picture of success is that of power. This becomes an incessant pursuit for many, especially in our area of Silicon Valley, to have control, to have influence. To be able to do what you want when you want. To be able to tell others what to do. You know what's fun about the millennial generation? Is one of the things they're wrestling with, and I really think we can learn a lot from them on this, is one of the ways that they're beginning to process success in life is this idea of impact. They wrestle with this thought of what, what profit is it if it only profits me? Like what profit is it really if it only profits me? Is maybe your picture of success of having an impact, of making a difference. Maybe some would use it this way, to leave a legacy with your life. So what's your picture of success? And are you finding that you're out of breath running after that picture? I don't know if you've ever asked this question, but have you ever wondered what God's picture of success might be? Like how might God actually define what success looks like? I mean, think about it. 
You have a creator. I know we don't all agree on that, but many of us, most of us agree that you have been created. And so logically, then, you have been created for something. You have a maker. And so you have been made for something. You have a designer. And so you have been designed for something. I would just wonder, wouldn't it make the most sense if we ask this question, what are we made for? What are we designed for? What is God's picture of success? Near the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus begins to tell these three parables, really fascinating parables. One about ten virgins, one about uh, talents, and another about sheep and goats. And yet all three make the same point. And he's talking about what will happen when the kingdom of God comes to this planet, when God restores all things to their right order, when Eden returns. When creation is finally restored to the way we were designed to function and be. And you don't have to look far to realize this world is broken and not the way it was designed to be. And he begins to tell these stories, these parables. This parable is just a story with a point to help us understand what does it look like to be successful or to live in such a way when the kingdom of God comes, we would be ready. We would be in such a way prepared and be able to look Jesus in the eye and go, come on. He tells one of these stories. It's called the parable of the talents. And in it, we actually discover God's definition for success. We pick it up in Matthew 25. Jesus tells this story this way. He says again, he's told the first parable before about these 10 versions. You can read it later. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent. Now notice this, each according to their ability. Now, now a talent doesn't sound like a whole lot, but a talent in that day was uh, 6,000 denarii. So you can only imagine what you could do with six, you know, you don't know what 6,000 denarii is. One talent was equal to 16 and a half years wages. Yeah, no small amount. And so one guy got 16 and a half years wages. I don't even want to do the Silicon Valley math on that. (laughs) Another two times that, another 5x that. Now, it says that of the two that got the five and the two, immediately they went to work. They put their money to work. And then it says that there was one that simply took the money, and some of your translations might even say sack of gold so that you kind of feel the weight of how much this is, and he buried it. Many years later, the master comes back and calls his servants to him. And he says, give account of what you did. The one who had five doubled Ten talents. Think about this. Ten times 16. That's 160 years wages. Wow. 
I know, I'm pretty good at math. I just want to, I, it was I just a moment to kind of show off that I could do, okay. I, and then there's a, two, he doubled it. Now, I want you to see this. Notice what he, the master says to both. The one who doubled the five, the one who doubled the two. He says this. His master replied, well done. Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. He calls the other servant. And it's interesting. He just had a bunch of excuses about why he didn't do anything. He's like, honestly, dude, you could have just put it in the bank. It would have gotten interest, and that would have been better. And one of these things that always troubled me about this story was at the end, the master takes the one talent from that servant and gives it to the one who had 10. And I always wrestled with that. I'm like, that's not fair. And then I realized if I gave you $1,000, I gave you $2,000 and you $5,000 and you came back with $1,000, you came back with $4,000 and you came back with $10,000, well, heck yeah, I'm taking 1000 from you and giving it to you. We kind of forget that God is the shrewdest investor in the world. Universe, technically. However, in this, this is not a financial passage. It's not the point. This is not a passage about giving and how if you give more, then God will give you more. This is a passage in which God defines what does it look like to truly succeed in life. Here's God's definition for success. It is simply to faithfully steward what God has entrusted to you. You want to know what success looks like? It is to faithfully steward what God has entrusted to you. It is the stewardship Stewardship. Now notice this. God has entrusted you with unique talents. So the big idea right there is that all that you have has been given by God. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You're like, wait a second, I earned it. No, 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 no. Let's talk about this. Where were you born? Or where do you live? Your talents, and we so quickly jump to financial, certainly that there are resources, but your intellect, your aptitude, your giftings, your natural abilities, your relationships. See, God has entrusted you. He looked at you and he says, I'm going to give you unique talents. How? According to your abilities. And so first one, they're God's, not yours. They're God's, not yours. And so all that you have, you realize, is a sacred stewardship from God. You want to live a successful life, beginning places, all that I have is a stewardship from God. And I am then going to give an account for my life to him. And so I'm going to go, okay, how do I live this one life to stand before him? And I want to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. There, God has entrusted you with the unique talents. 
Now, let me read some of those unique talents. Some of you have entertaining abilities. The ability to perform, act, dance, or speak. Some of you have recruiting abilities to enlist and and motivate people to get involved. Some interviewing abilities to discover what others are really like. Researching abilities to read, gather information, collect data. Artistic ability to conceptualize, picture, draw, paint, photograph, or make uh, renderings. Graphic abilities to lay out, design, create visual displays or banners. Uh, Evaluating abilities to analyze data and draw conclusions. Planning abilities to strategize, design, and organize program and events. I need a cup of water just to read all these. Managing abilities to supervise people to accomplish a task, event, or coordinate the details. Counseling abilities to listen, encourage, and guide with sensitivity. Teaching ability to explain, train, and demonstrate or tutor. Writing abilities to write articles, letters, and books. Editing abilities uh, to uh, proofread and or rewrite, which is always helpful. I need people like that in my life. Promoting abilities to advertise or promote events and activities. Repairing abilities to fix, restore, and maintain. Feeding ability to create meals for large or small groups, recall abilities to remember or recall names and faces, mechanical operating abilities to operate equipment, tools, and machinery, resourceful ability to search out and find inexpensive material resources needed. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Counting ability to work with numbers, data, or money. Classifying abilities to systematize file materials so that they are retrieved easily. Public relations ability to handle compliments and happy customers with care and courtesy. Welcoming abilities to convey warmth, uh, develop rapport, make others feel comfortable. Composing abilities to write music or lyrics. Landscaping abilities to do gardening work with plants. Decorating abilities to beautify a setting for a special event. God has entrusted you you with a unique set of talents. And so, when we're talking about success, there is no one-size-fit-all. There is no one-size-fit-all, and so stop comparing. Stop comparing what they have and what you don't have. Stop comparing how their kids are acting as opposed to your kids are acting. Stop comparing what you don't have and start stewarding what you do have. See, each according to his ability, God looked at you and said, I've designed you, I've made you, I've specifically said, you know what, I'm going to create you for this, and I've given you these unique abilities. And here's one of the hard parts about that list, natural talents. There's certain things that you heard like, man, I wish I had that one. And then the ones you have, you don't think are all that important, do you? Why? Because they come naturally. And we often dismiss and diminish diminish the natural giftings God has given us and want what others have. See, success in God's kingdom is faithfully stewarding what God has entrusted you. He entrusted you with unique talents. There's no one size fit all. And as a result, the goal is not perfection. It's faithfulness. Faithful to how God made you. Faithful to how he designed you. Faithful to stewarding who he placed in your life, the relationships he's put in your life. Faithful to stewarding the mind that he gave you. Faithful to stewarding where he placed you in the workplace that you're at. The goal is not happiness. 
By the way, happiness is a byproduct, not a destination. But faithfulness. The goal is not the American dream. But faithfulness, the goal is not fame or power, but faithfulness. And, and by the way, the goal isn't even impact. As important as that is, and here's why. You cannot control the outcomes of your life. You cannot determine the amount of impact you will have, but you can determine how faithful you will be with what God gave you. God determines the impact. We determine our faithfulness. Now, some of you are going, that's great. But what do I do with that? Like, what is the picture of success? If there's no one size fits all, how does this really look? What does faithfulness really look like? I'm so glad you asked. Thank you for asking. Otherwise, we wouldn't have gotten to the second part of the sermon. A little bit earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, just three chapters before, Jesus is being confronted by religious leaders. They're trying to trick him. They're trying to catch him, and they're asking him all these theological questions. And one um, lawyer steps up to the scene and asks such an incredibly important question. And this question was asked in the subject of conversation over and over in their culture. And he asked this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? The law represented the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew scriptures. There's like 600 plus laws. Which one is the greatest? In other words, Jesus, teacher, in the exam called life, how do I make sure I pass the test? How, how do I make sure I succeed in this exam of life? How do I make sure I don't get to the end and realize I studied the wrong material? And Jesus answers, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Here's what Jesus is saying. Take all that you've been given, all the talents that you have, your mind, your heart, your emotions, your strength, and love God with it. All of it. Holding nothing back. And then he says this. And this connection was so profound. This connection is so critical for us as a community because we often make a disconnect here. He says the second is like it. Now, now when he said this, we somehow think, okay, if we're thinking about exam, I'm going to study the love God part a lot. And then if I get to this other part, that might be like the bonus material. I, you know, this is maybe not that big of a deal. They're going to grade bigger on this part than this part. And, and the way this is constructed is he says success, the picture of success is one who leverages all that they have for loving God through loving others. The second is like it means these two are, are 
completely connected in every way. You cannot love God and say, without loving others. And he says the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, all the Hebrew scriptures, all the writings hang on these two commandments. So for Jesus, the picture of success is a life that leverages itself in love, that is stewarding what God had given them, viewed as a sacred entrustment and saying, all that I have is yours, so how can I love the ones that you love? See, I can't say that I love God and not love the things that God loves. Um... I had kind of a weird thing happen to me a couple weeks ago. It's been a really full season. In fact, the fullest season we've ever had as a family. God's doing great things. Our church is growing. It's really fun, but it means a lot of work, and I love it. And we're really excited about what he's doing. And there's a Tuesday... A couple weeks ago, and uh, you know, I, I get up really early in the morning so so I can work, and then I try to pick up my kids um, many times after school so that I'm with them. And then I had a meetings that night, and so on this day, I, I go and pick up my kids after school. And on the way home, I needed to pick up something at uh, Orchard Supply uh, to as actually for our offices. And so I have my kids with me, and I'm stopping by Orchard Supply. And right as I walk in. Um, the door of Orchard Supply, this guy kind of grabs my arm. And I'm, you, you know when you're just kind of focused and you're just kind of knocking through the day and, and I'm like, what in the world? And it's this elderly man. He was, looked like he had to be late 80s, early 90s. And he says, excuse me. And I was totally like, I mean, just like ripped me out of my, like, I'm like, I'm just trying to get one thing. I'm on the way. I got two hours to hang out with my family and then I got meetings the rest of the night. Um, could you help me with a cab? I'm like, what? And he pulls out a card, and he begins to explain his whole story to me. And I'm just thinking, I got my kids standing there. I just wanted to get in, get out. This isn't my job. <laughs> it's like, could you call? There's got to be someone in the store. This is their job. <laughs> and so I... I look at his card, and I'm like, I'm sorry, sir, what, what's going on? And he sits down, and he tells me, he said, yes, I called a cab, and this is on one of those days, you remember, it's about 90 degrees out, uh, and he had this, you know, he's no longer able to drive anymore, and so he has this company that he can call, and they pick him up and bring him places. And he's like, I called them, and then I waited outside for 30 minutes, and it just was too hot for me outside. And so he was sitting in there, but sitting inside, I can't tell if my car has come or not, or if they came and left, could you help me? And I'm like, ah, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And then, and then another old man came. <laughs> like they're breeding like rabbits. <laughs> and he sits down. I thought they were connected. They weren't connected. And the guy asked me, what do you do? I'm like, well, I'm actually a pastor. And he smiled. That's the first time in San Jose I've ever gotten a smile <laughs> for being called a pastor. And he began to share how his, 
um, his grandfather was a Methodist minister, and then all of a sudden, 20 minutes later, heard about the war, <laughs> heard about his uh, high school sweetheart, Betty, who he's been married for 67 years. And then I'm looking, I'm going like, I, gotta, I just came to get something. And so I said, you know what, sir, let's get you over to customer service. I think that's, they're here to serve customers. He had his bags of, you know, he's already checked out. And I took him over there and I said, excuse me, this, this gentleman here, what's your name? Uh, Reginald. I'm like, how cool is that? Your name's Reginald. Uh, Hernandez. I'm like, Mr. Hernandez, he, he's needing a car. And the lady couldn't have been more rude. Yeah, I called already. I'm like, cool, not here. And so I spoke kindly but firmly to this young lady and let her know, this man needs a car ride home. Can you call back again and make sure he gets on his cab? And told him, you know what, this young lady's going to take care of you. Great to meet you. And I went with my kids and I walked off. And I began to talk to my kids because my granddad recently died, uh, and he was the last living of my grandparents. So it was one of these moments of like, I don't get to have these interactions as much uh, anymore. And talking about them, you know what, it's just so important to take time, have these conversations, uh, and just listen. Just listen and be present. But there's something in my spirit that was like, I want to make sure this dude gets home. And I said, you know what, kids, if he's still at the front when we get back, let's see if we can give him a ride home. And I said, yeah, let's do that. We didn't even find what we came to look for at Orchard. <laughs> but we come forward, and he's still there. And I said, you know, Mr. Hernandez, uh, we got a car. Could we give you a ride home? Oh, that would be great. And so we walk out, get in the car, and I said, you know, could you give me your address? He hands me his driver's license. I'm like, yeah, these cool phones these days. He didn't even have a phone on him, you know? And I type it in, and, and we're off. And we end up and drive him up. And you know, I, in my head, I'm like, I don't know where this guy lives. I think he probably lives in some random out of the way. He lived in the hills of Las Gatas. <laughs> he owns a ranch in San Martin. <laughs> Multiple businesses. And a, and a big property up in Las Gatas. And couldn't have been a more incredible human being. As we talked about his life and his kids and his businesses, and it was so fun. Every time he talked about a new business partner, he, he talked about them, they're the greatest person. He, he, I, he never said one negative word about anyone as he told the story of his life. We got to his house, and he wanted to show us around. <laughs> well, why not? Why not? And, and so we get out. And we get out, and he's showing me, he's like, and I mean, he's like 90 years old, and it's like uneven step behind him. I'm like trying to make sure he doesn't fall. He wants to show me the pool that he got a, you know, a pump to pump out, and he did all this himself. And it's like a 12-foot deep pool. It's like scary just for my kids, but I'm behind him going, no, okay, you know, don't. And he takes me in, and he shows me, he says, you know, Ryan, Every night I sit in this chair and I turn on classical music. And he had this little string light that went across their blue string light, so random, across his fireplace. 
and he drinks a bottle of, uh, not a bottle, but a glass of Chianti. Um, Got to meet sweet Betty, who he's been married for 67 years to. I'm like, oh, Keontae, yeah, we love Keontae too. Oh, you know what Keontae is? So he runs and rummages. That's why I have wine this morning, by the way. And he's like, oh, this is my favorite Keontae. He showed us around everywhere. I I just got to let you know this bottle is precious to me. I have no idea... If it's good or not, I have no idea what kind. I, didn't even, I don't even want to look it up. Because the moment this bottle represents is far more precious than the contents in it. And somehow, we have come to define success in a way that is devoid of love, in a way that's devoid of presence. And if we define success that is devoid of love, I think we sadly missed And all it took, all it took was a moment of simply faithfully stewarding what God had entrusted to me. In that moment, it was a car and time. That was it. And in that moment, it, it impacted me. I, like, cried. I'm, like, talking to my wife. I'm, like, oh, Mr. Hernandez, he's the best. Like, I want to go hang out with him, you know? (laughs) A number of years ago, Jenny turned to me one night, and we're talking, and she had this line, and it's stuck with me ever since. She said, you know, Ryan, I want to be out of breath when I enter heaven. Like, I just want to be out of breath. And I know we're going to be out of breath chasing success. But I want to stand before Jesus and him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come, enjoy. I don't want to leave anything on the table. I don't want to just live with my end in mind. I want to live with eternity in mind. So, for you, what would it look like in your life if this wasn't just a nice idea? If you began to embrace a new definition, a new picture for success, imagine Imagine what God might want to do. Imagine how he might want to interrupt your day in the most beautiful way. And the stories you get to tell of how God works. I'm going to invite Michelle to come sing a song for us. And I'm going to pray for us. And this is a song that I think is going to be incredibly powerful, especially for those who are moms that talk about this tension. The tension we feel of giving our lives away as as parents and the joy and the hurt and yet how precious it is. Jesus, thank you so much for this time. God, I, I ask in this moment there would be some redefining going on. That values would shift. Decisions would change. 
that as a result, Monday, loving a coworker or a neighbor would elevate to the top instead of accomplishing a task. May we be a people known by love.